0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, It's good to be with you today. Um, I am short, but I'm not this short, so I'm just going to take a moment to try to. uh, Oh, that was even. Maybe I can preach from my knees today. I will do that if I have to. Okay, that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Well, it's good to be with you today. Uh, I have such high regard for Pastor Jason and Jothi and their family, and we're so grateful for uh, the work that you guys are doing in the city. Um, and uh, my, fa- I have uh, three three children. Boston, who's here, he was supposed to, he was supposed to stay in the service, and he told me he's going with kids to kids ministry. I said, I thought you're going to stay with me. He said, it's field day, so he's all about sports, so he was excited to to go, so he ditched me. Uh, but yeah, I have two more children and then my wife, uh, who is, uh, at our church this morning. If I knew, uh, Jothi, you were going to be here, I would have brought her, but I didn't, I thought you guys were all out. So it's all good. Uh, so you just have me and you were going to have my son, but you don't even have him. Uh, but it is, it is an honor to be here. Um, I'm so glad that pastor Jason's able to, to be on sabbatical, been praying that he just finds, uh, such rest and peace and peace. Uh, While he is um, on sabbatical, and that he comes back uh, just uh, rejuvenated and renewed for what God has for him. Here, you guys have great, you guys have a great pastor, um, and you guys are in good hands, so you guys are blessed. And so, if I do a terrible job today, know that he is coming back at some point from sabbatical to fix what I messed up. So, yeah, today I, um, I want to share with you a message on the theological concept of God as our Father. Uh, this is an idea and a concept that the Holy Spirit has been reinforcing in me lately and really emphasizing in my heart. And so I want to share that with you. Just take a few moments to share that with you. Uh, When my wife was uh, 16 years old, her name is Priscilla, by the way, she was reading through a name book, um, thinking about what her children's names were going to be. I guess that's what 16-year-old girls do. When I was 16, I was definitely not thinking about the names of my children, but uh, she was. And so uh, she came across the name Avia, A-V-I-A-H, and God spoke to her and said, this is going to be the name. Of your daughter. And so when my wife and I were dating and we were getting more serious about marriage, she told me, she said, I already have the name of our first daughter. And so you have no choice in the matter. And so thankfully, um, thankfully, I loved the name. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah. And so, why am I telling you about uh, the, how we came up with the name for our middle child? Well, this is why the, the name Avia is a Hebrew name and it means god is my father and so um and so the lord also spoke a promise to priscilla and said your daughter will never feel like she doesn't have a father the way you have because uh my wife and her father has they've had a tumultuous relationship he he was in and out of her life when she grew up he was in and out of prison he was a alcoholic and and he was the type of alcoholic that was not kind when he got drunk he was mean and so he grew up and she grew up in a very abusive home and 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 witnessed a lot of really difficult difficult things and so she's had a very very difficult relationship with her dad and so so this this promise from the lord was very very significant for my wife and I am aware that depending on your experience with your own father a message like this could be triggering right sadly for many people dad is a trigger word for pain and wounding sadly for many people dad is a trigger word for anger even rage sadly for many people dad maybe has no emotion at all because he wasn't present in your life for others, maybe your dad is no longer with you today. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you because as a Christian, we have the greatest dad in the world in that we all share a heavenly father who deeply loves us and cares for us. In fact, the Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. Amen? Amen. And so I want to I know we read the text uh, just a moment ago, but I want to I want to read the text again. Um, and, and, and so if you if you didn't pick up on it, uh, the, the text, the teaching text for today is the baptism of Jesus. And so um, I'm going to read Matthew three thirteen through 17, and um, I'm going to read it. I, I don't know what version it was in, but uh, I'm going to read it from the ESV. And it says this, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I, I want to I read verses 16 and 17 in the message paraphrase because it's a really powerful rendering, and it says this. The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's Spirit. It looked like a dove descending and landing on him. And along with the spirit a voice, this is my Son, chosen And marked by my love, delight of my life. Uh, Although this is a short interaction between the Trinity, we can learn a whole lot about God as our Father in this passage. Knowing God as your Father is imperative for you in order for you to receive all that God has in store for you. In fact, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7 tells us that when we accept by faith, Jesus, as Lord of our lives, we are no longer slaves to sin, but are sons and heirs of God through Christ. Many Christians are walking through life, living beneath their privilege as sons and daughters of the King. We're saved, but we're still living as if we're enslaved. Okay? If you've ever watched the show Downton Abbey, I'll have to admit my wife got me into that show. And I ended up liking it more than her. But uh, if you've seen the show, anybody seen the show Downton Abbey in here? A few, few people, you men are not admitting it. It's, all, it's okay. This is a safe space. Well, if you've watched the show, you've seen that the Crawley family, which is they're the main characters of the show, they eat upstairs in their formal dining room while the servants of the house eat downstairs in the servants' quarters, which was custom in, in, that, in that day. And the beauty of the show is that it shows the storylines both of the wealthy Crawley family upstairs as well as the the house servants and the storylines going on downstairs. And, and, And for some of us, God the Father has reserved a place upstairs at his table for us to eat at, but you're still trying to eat downstairs in the servants' quarters. Knowing my position in God's family is worth far more than possessing all of earth's riches so important that we know our position in christ as sons and daughters if you want to judge how well a person understands christianity wrote j.i packer in his famous book knowing god find out how much he makes of the thought of being god's child and having god as his father if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers, and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Christianity is more than God being our Father, but it is not less than that. What J.I. Packer is saying is that the prevailing thought that ought to animate all that we are and do as a Christian is the idea that God is our good Father, and we are his beloved children. For example, when you fall into sin, our prevailing thought should be, I need to run to my father, not away from him, and let him know that I messed up so that intimacy with my father can be restored. You see, if we've given our hearts to Jesus, we are not scratching and crawling into heaven, but are there by invitation by our father who happens to run things up there. Amen? So what I want to do is I want to give you three thoughts about what it means that God is your father from the, the baptism of Jesus, the text that we read. And so, number one, if you're taking notes, if not, it's still number one, uh, is this. Your heavenly father's love for you isn't dependent on the work you do for him. Your heavenly father's love for you isn't dependent on the work you do For him, in verse 17, God the Father says of Jesus, this is my beloved son. Beloved is the Greek word agape, which I know most of you have heard already. And in the English language, the word love is such a broad term, is it not? Like, I love my wife. I love my children. I also love ice cream and football. And in the English language, we only have one word to describe both of those things, even though my family has infinitely more value to me than football or ice cream. But in the ancient Greek language, there were several different words used to describe the word love. And so, for example, storge is an affectionate type of love. Philia is, from which we get the name, the city Philadelphia means Brotherly love or friendship love. Eros, from which we get the word erotic, is a sexual or romantic love. Ludus is a playful love. And philia is a self-love, which we have a ton of that going on in our culture today. But that is another message. But agape love, this love is superior to all the other loves because agape love comes straight from God towards humankind. Agape love is a selfless love. Love. It's the unconditional love of God. In fact, um, 1 John 4, 8 says that God is agape. He doesn't possess it. He he doesn't strive for it. It's not a feeling that he has. He he, he embodies it. It's it's the essence of who he is. Agape, God is agape. Agape in the Greek classic spoke of a love called out of one's heart by the preciousness of Of the object loved. And this is the idea inherent in the father's proclamation over the son at his baptism. And it's the idea inherent in the father's proclamation over you. Notice that before Jesus did anything for his father. He was already loved by him. We must see ourselves through the eyes of faith, that we are perfectly loved by Father God through Christ. You know, I was in love with my three kids long before they did anything for me. When all they could do was poop, eat, and cry, I already loved those three kids. The fact that they are my children and have my blood running through their veins makes me love them. You see, I didn't wait until they could start doing chores around the house to start loving my children. I loved them as soon as I laid my eyes on them in the hospital room because they were my children. And if I, as an earthly father, love them in this way, how much more does our heavenly father agape us? Christian author Philip Yancey wrote, there is nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Think about that statement. That is an incredible, incredible statement. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, what incentive do I then have to live holy and obey God if I can't make him love me and show me any more favor than he already does? Well, when you grasp the fact that while you and I were still sinners, that Christ loved us and died for us, that should be all the motivation in the world that you need to give Jesus everything and surrender your life to him. Amen? You see, God's love for you is based on Christ's atoning work on the cross on your behalf. Meaning, he loves you simply because you are a son or daughter, not because of anything you can do for him. In other words, you inherit sonship. You cannot earn it. Because it's a gift, it's not a wage. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, wrote, It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ, that some of us, that any of us who really chooses shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, But delighted in, as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. But so it is. You, my friends, are loved by God, and there is nothing you can do about it. You are loved by God. So the second thought I want to share with you today is this. Your heavenly father's opinion of you should hold more weight than anyone else's opinion. Your heavenly father's opinion of you should hold more weight than anybody else's opinion. A significant detail uh, in this story that we did not read is that immediately after God speaks these words of approval over Jesus at his baptism, guess what he does next? If you think he went out and preached an incredible sermon after this moment of his, God, of his father speaking th- these words of approval over him, you'd be wrong. If you think he went out immediately and performed some sort of spectacular miracle, you'd be wrong. If you think he went out and wrote a New York Times best-selling book, you would be wrong immediately after Jesus was baptized and his father spoke these words of approval over him. The Bible says that the spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights and what was Satan trying to do through his three recorded temptations of Jesus he tried to attack his identity okay twice he says to Jesus if you're the son of God if you're the son of God prove it by doing this and then the third temptation he tells them that if you'll fall down and worship him that he'll give him all the kingdoms of this world Church, Satan is after your identity. He's after your identity. If he can make you question your identity as God's child, he can convince you of just about anything. Satan is the author of confusion, and if he can distort your identity in Christ, it will leave you susceptible to try and find your identity in other things like a relationship or, or your, uh, your sexuality or, or your career or whatever, anything else. And let me tell you something, the enemy, okay, is totally okay with you calling yourself a Christian. He's okay with you coming faithfully to New Hope Hope Church and even serving if he can distort your identity in Christ and make you feel like you're an illegitimate child. But when you're convinced that your status as God's child cannot be shaken or cannot be moved, The devil's opinions and man's opinions about you do not have control over your life. You see, when your identity is secure and unshaken, you will not be easily intimidated or manipulated. Okay? And here's what I've learned and here's what I've noticed. People who are manipulative are either knowingly or unknowingly trying to make you question your identity. If you really loved me and cared for me, you would be willing to compromise your convictions for me. Or because I did something for you a while back, you owe me, right? And if you don't pay up, then I'm going to emotionally punish you through silent treatment or through passive-aggressive sarcasm or whatever, but I'm going to get what you owe me back one way or the other. But when your dad's, capital D's, opinion carries the heaviest weight In your life, others' opinions, thoughts, and desires for you, they won't crush you, and they won't puff you up. We all, to some degree, filter how we see God the Father through our experience and relationship with our earthly fathers, right? It's it's impossible not to. It's It's just naturally we filter how we see our heavenly Father through our experience with our natural father. And what's tough? is that some of us have had some really bad examples in our lives. Maybe you had an absent father. He wasn't there emotionally for you. He wasn't present for the significant moments of your life. I have a good friend that's getting married soon and we were having coffee and chatting and he said to me he was like, "I don't know if I want to invite my dad to my wedding." And that 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 statement would never have even crossed my mind when I was getting ready to get married because I have a great relationship with my dad. But for him, he said when, when you know, he, lives, he lives in New York, his dad uh, and, and his, his family lives in another state. And he says every time I visit my mom, my dad doesn't even make an effort to see me. He was never there for the significant moments of my life. And so I don't even know. I mean, I don't know if it would be more of a hassle to invite him to the wedding. And so he was contemplating this, which absolutely broke my heart that he just it, it was it was even a question to him. But that's the reality of people's situations. Maybe you had an abusive father. He verbally tore you down. Maybe he physically beat you down. Maybe he played mind games with you. Maybe you grew up with a domineering father who was a strict disciplinarian and controlled every aspect of your life. And it was his way and only his way. I, I don't know what your experience with your earthly father has been, but I do know that most adults are carrying Baggage and at least some trauma from their parents, even if they had great parents who tried their best. J.I. Packer again in Knowing God says this I have heard it seriously argued that the thought of divine fatherhood could mean nothing to those whose human father was inadequate, lacking wisdom, affection, or both, nor to those many more whose misfortune it was to have a fatherless upbringing. But this is silly. For it is just not true to suggest that in the realm of personal relations, positive concepts cannot be formed by contrast. The truth is that all of us have a positive ideal of fatherhood by which we judge our own and others' fathers. How else could we be unhappy with our bad fathers? And it can safely be said that the person for whom the thought of God's perfect fatherhood is meaningless or repellent does not exist. If you grew up without a father, I don't know what your story is here. Maybe all of you grew up with both parents and had a wonderful relationship with your dad. But if you are one of those that grew up without a father or a bad example of a father, I want you to know that God wants to fill that void in your soul. God wants to heal those wounds and make you secure in your identity in him as his son or as his daughter. Your father, your heavenly father, desires that for you that you would be secure in your status and your position in him the gospel of John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 says this but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God you see when we put our faith in Jesus okay Something supernatural takes place. God the Father declares over us that we are no longer slaves to sin, but his beloved sons and daughters. Present future, pre- present or future fathers and mothers in here, I, this is directed at you. It, it's so important that your children hear you affirming them, encouraging them, and building them up with your words. I, I was recently listening to a Q&A about parenting, and, and one of the panelists said that parents should light up when their kids walk into a room. How many of us, and I know I'm guilty of this, I'm so guilty of this, that we completely ignore our child's presence when they walk into the room. We're on our phone, we're working, we're emailing, we're, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're on social media. How many of us even feel annoyed when our kids walk into the room, our children crave affirmation and encouragement from us. And here's the deal, parents. The world, kids at school and social media tear our kids down constantly. When they come home, we should be building them up and speaking life over them. Amen. My son, Boston, who was in here, who was supposed to stay with me but abandoned me to field day. Uh, he he's 12 years old. And like I said, he loves sports. And so, um, his two main sports are, are football and basketball. So, um, every time after his flag football game or basketball game, he'll want to talk to me about all of his plays because he's looking for affirmation. He's looking for me to, to, to tell him what he did well. And, and, and so, uh, he'll go play by play every play he did. He'll go play by play and tell me exactly what he did. And then he'll say, what did you think about it, dad? And, uh, and many times I'm really great about affirming him, but there have been times where I've gone straight to critiquing something about him. And, and, and because I started with that, he didn't feel like I had his best interest at heart. He felt like I was attacking him and criticizing him and it hurt him deeply. And the moral of that story is that as current or future parents, it is our job to reinforce our children's identity in Christ through our words and actions that doesn't mean we we don't tell them things that they don't want to hear it, it means that that the motive behind everything is re, we are reinforcing their identity in Christ we're not we're not destroying their identity we're not destroying their dreams we're not destroying them emotionally because we just we just want to we just want to come down on them right and this is this is just this is tough for every parent that I know unless You know, yeah, every parent, unless you're lying, right? Um, And so point number three, my last point today is this. God's work or mission or purpose for your life should be an overflow of your sonship or daughtership, okay? God's mission, God's purpose, God's plan for your life, the work God has for you should be an overflow of your position and status as his loved child, okay? God cares deeply about what we do for him, but he cares even more about the person that we're becoming, okay? Uh, you, you, you know this, but there are a lot of people out there that are doing amazing things in the name of God publicly, but privately they're terrible people and lack character, Okay? We've got to both become who God wants us to be and do what God has called us to do. It's not either or, it's both and. Uh, Let's look at Matthew 3, 17 one more time in both the ESV and the message of what God the Father spoke over Jesus. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is my son, in the message paraphrase, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my love. What's absolutely amazing about this statement is that God the Father validates Jesus as his beloved son in whom he is well pleased before he turns water into wine, before he heals blind Bartimaeus, before he casts any demons out of Mary Magdalene, before he preaches the Sermon on the Mount or any other sermon, before he raises Lazarus from the dead, or before he goes to the cross. He loves him and he approves of him before everything that he does is an overflow of his status in, in, in relationship with his father as his child. I don't know about you, but I got saved in a church culture that taught eternal insecurity, okay? And any of you there, if you were struggling with sin during that week, you had better be up at the altar on Sunday because if you were, die, if you were to die, you were going to go straight to hell. Or if you didn't share your faith with 12 people that week leading up to church, you better be at the altar getting resaved because the, 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 the blood of those 12 people are on your hands. That's the kind of church that I grew up in. There was no security. There was no, there, there was no thinking of your position in Christ, that you're seated in Christ, that you're a son and not a slave. Every time you sinned, you got out of that position, and you had to earn your way back into that position. But that is not the gospel, is it? That is not... The Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. And, and you see, God the Father was trying to show us how he relates to us by modeling it with Jesus. And, and this always gets to me because Jesus's mission in this world was an overflow of that status that he had as God's loved and chosen and marked child. You see, some of us in here We are striving and working for God in order to attain his pleasure. But if you're in Christ, you already possess it. You are the delight of God's life simply because you're his son, simply because you're his daughter. He marked and chose you before the foundations of the world were established. God calls us to be hard workers. Don't get me wrong. He calls us to be hard workers not to prove our worth to Him, but because we are His children and want to glorify our Father and further His kingdom. Here's why this is so important for you to get. If your sonship or daughtership isn't secure, you will turn ministry into an idol, or you'll turn the people God has called you to serve into idols. You will compromise biblical truth and standards in order to please people. When you are not secure as God's chosen, loved, and delighted in child, you'll minister to people and serve people in order to receive affirmation from them, not because you love them and want to share Christ with them or lead them or whatever it is. You're going to do it so that they can affirm an insecurity in you because you're not secure in your status in Christ. You'll do the right things for the wrong reasons. I'm almost finished here. Ephesians 1 uh, verses 3 through 6 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That word adoption is the Greek word heothesia and means to formally and legally declare someone who is not one's own child to be treated and cared for as one's own child, including complete rights of inheritance you see servants or slaves work with no future hope of inheritance but a son or a daughter works knowing that everything is theirs you are a son or daughter of god first that is your primary identity then a wife then a husband then a teacher then Uh, uh, a hedge fund manager, then a CEO, then a janitor, then a bodega worker. Your primary identity is your, your, your status as a child of God. You see, God predestined you and chose you before the foundation of the world to be his son or daughter. Every time the enemy whispers in your ear that you are worthless, that you are no good, that you are not good enough, that you don't have what it takes to make it in this city, that, that you're a terrible leader, that no one loves you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remind them that your dad predestined you and chose you before the foundations of the world to be his. And so when you know that and when you understand that, those whispers will not crush you They will not control you. They will not dictate the way you feel about yourself, the way you feel about your God, the way you feel about your purpose in life because because you understand and you are secure in who you are and whose you are. So as we're getting ready to land the plane today, I want you to consider a few questions to determine whether you see yourself as a son, daughter, or a slave servant. I want to encourage you to jot these questions down so that you can process them after service as well. So the first question I want you to consider is this. When you sin and fall short, and we all do, do you feel like you must stop all spiritual activities, like coming to church, like serving, like praying, until you feel holy again? I've had so many people come to me and tell me that they, that they haven't been at church lately, or they stopped serving because, because they were struggling with something. And, and the reality is, what they're saying is that they are consumed with shame and they're condemning themselves. And so they're trying to earn, they're trying to earn right standing with God. And when they feel it again, then they'll start coming to church again and they'll start serving again. That 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 is not walking in your position and status as God's child, okay? When we sin and fall short, we should run to God, not away from God. We should get into his presence so that we can, so that our relationship can be restored. Not, not, not we hide and we stop doing everything, we stop doing the things that we know we're supposed to do until, until we can earn that feeling of, of, of holiness or whatever, whatever we're trying to grasp and trying to work at. That, that's, not, that's not viewing ourselves as a child of God, okay? The second question I want you to consider is, do you do things for God because you're afraid that if you don't, you'll lose his approval? You see, sons and daughters work in their father's kingdom out of a sense of responsibility, not guilt or fear. Okay, If your entire motivation is fear-based, if I don't do this, God won't love me, God won't approve of me, something bad's going to happen to me. That then you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing for the right reasons. You're not walking as a child in the kingdom. Okay? You're, not, you're not working for God as, as a sense of responsibility. You're, 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 you're working for God out of a sense of fear. Okay? You see, sons and daughters don't lose approval. They can be corrected. They can be disciplined. They can be sat down for a season. They can be challenged. But we do things for God because we're his chosen children, fully loved and cherished. And we want others to experience this type of love, not in order to somehow win his approval. And then the third and final question I I want you to consider is this. Are your prevailing thoughts about God that he is for you or that he's disappointed in you? Do you walk around with the weight of God's disappointment over you? Just feeling constantly that that when God looks at you, when God thinks about you, that that, that the overwhelming feeling that that God has towards you is not pleasure, not love, but disappointment. You guys are carrying that weight of disappointment everywhere you go and it has absolutely distorted your identity in Christ as his child. A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What, what, what comes into your mind when you think about God? Is it an overwhelming feeling of disappointment? Because if it is, you're not living in that sonship, you're not living in that daughtership, you're not living in what Christ purchased for you by his atoning work on the cross. You're, you're not wor- you're not walking in the reality of who you are, you see, you, you, instead of eating upstairs you keep trying to bang the door down downstairs in the servants quarters you're not a servant you're not a slave okay you're a son you're a daughter you're an heir okay we we are going to rule and reign with christ forever as the bible calls us co-heirs with christ yet many of us are living beneath that privilege and today it's time to stop It's time to live in the reality of what God the Father has for you and what Christ purchased for you.